It's time for the Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a nationwide leader in background checks and employment screening solutions. People G2 gives their clients access to the best human capital management and due diligence tools available. They are dedicated to helping their clients with all of their people-related decisions. To learn more, go to www.peopleg2.com. Talent Talk centers on the topics of talent recruitment and management, leadership development, company culture, and employee engagement. These are all timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR professionals, and business leaders. We hope that as you tune in to listen each week, whether to the live broadcast or to the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio, that you hear something you can take away that will help you grow and impact your career in a positive way. And now... Here's the host of the Talent Talk Radio Show, the founder and CEO of People G2, Chris Dyer. Good afternoon, and thank you for tuning in here to Talent Talk. Uh, you know, we are so lucky every week to have fantastic leaders, inspiring people, uh, coaches, authors, speakers, uh, or just, uh, you know, the regular CEO, entrepreneur that are coming and sharing their struggles, their wisdom the things that they're thinking about, the books that they're reading. And we're able to have a great conversation around that and understand where they're at or the things that have happened in their careers that we might learn from, that we might uh, find interest in learning about. And uh, we get out of this so many great stories. And I'm just excited today to have two people that I know. Uh, it's not their not their first time uh, you know, talking to me. And so I think we're going to have a great conversation today and probably even more stories maybe than we normally do. Um, and it's really those stories that uh, has has inspired and propelled the show for uh, all the people that we have listening. And we really appreciate each and every one of you. Um, you know, we've, these stories have been put into uh, my first book, The Power of Company Culture. Love to have you check that out wherever you buy your books online. And the book was really inspired by some of the greatest guests that we had on the show uh, and the fantastic leaders and their stories, uh, along with the, the story of my own company and what we discovered uh, by studying other organizations by studying the best organizations uh, and just, you know, figuring out what the best cultures consistently do, no matter what kind of organization they are and what industry they are. And they all do certain things and all of that you can find out in the book. So um, Talent Talk is live here just about every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Um, most of you catch us in the podcast version, which is okay. Uh, averaging uh, 10,000 downloads a day, which is millions of downloads a year on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, across all these different platforms. Um, and whether you are listening after the fact or maybe you're tuning in live, we don't forget that we love to live tweet. So as we're talking, my social media coordinator, Angela, is diligently in there kind of popping in the best quotes, the best one-liners, the best wisdom, links to bios and books and it's kind of your reference point. If you're maybe listening and can't write something down, we probably have posted it there right on Twitter. So you can go to Twitter and follow at PeopleG2. You can also follow along with that hashtag Talent Talk. So even if it's after the fact, we'd love to have you comment. Let us know what you think. We can keep the conversation going. But if you're live and you have a great question, you can send it right now, and we'll be sure to try to feed it into the show. We really love it when that happens. So. My guest today on the show, uh, the first one is Annette White-Kowalski, uh, co-founder of Future Point of View and a women's executive board. Um, and then my second guest is uh, no stranger to the airwaves, uh, Rick Franzi, partner 
uh, Renaissance Executive Forums. Uh, we'll bring Rick into the second half of the show. We'll have a lot to talk about with him. But let's go ahead, get started here straight away. Annette, how are you doing? I am good, Chris. Good to speak with you. Yeah, it's been a while. I know we have a lot to talk about about it the last time that we were together talking. Um, but uh, maybe just to, before we jump into that, tell everyone a little bit about yourself, uh, your company, what you do, what you focus on, anything else that's important for us to know about our, for our conversation today. Okay. Well, like you said, I'm co-founder of Future Point of View, and we are really a business strategy firm that has a emphasis in technology. So we really help companies build roadmaps. It could be strategic for their business. It could be strategic around using technology to win. And then I do a lot of other things. I'm a speaker. I host a podcast as well called Leader Spotlight. And then I run Executive Peer Advisory Boards, which I've done since the 90s. And that's really creating circles of leaders that are kind of all in the ring um, together, you know, trying to figure out what is working now in business and how do you motivate teams and culture, which is a passion you and I share. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, we met in Guatemala, of all places, uh, out in the middle of nowhere in a lake, you know, what, four hours from the nearest big city. Uh, quite a yes. culture shock, but uh, a really fun time. And I'm so glad that we got to get connected and I got to hear you speak. And, um, you know, it, at that moment, we were out in the middle of nowhere. Then a volcano went off and we thought that was a big <laughs> yeah. deal. That there was a you know, this sort of, there were people dying and it was, you know, a, a, a tragic thing, but it almost pales in comparison to the, the world we live in today, right? Uh, maybe exactly. you could kind of give me a little sense of where things are at, especially if we maybe particularly around your work with the peer advisory boards, you know, how have things changed for you? How is that going with, with the new reality that we're in? You know, it's interesting because, uh, I really got to see how a group, a circle like that, can really benefit a leader when you're going through an unprecedented time. So we actually met weekly, and it was that just-in-time learning, what is working today, um, oh, things changed, now what are you doing to pivot? Uh, so that was all you know, great to be able to be a part of and see how they leaned into the, to those groups really for support. And then, you know, I think the other piece that's interesting to me that's going on now is, we, you know, we have always had tools to work remotely and uh, be able to lead virtually. That is not anything new. We had a lot of companies that were not prepared and they were forced into a reality that they were figuring out on the fly. And I really feel what happened was we went through a crash course of just how to be a better leader, really, because they had to rely on tools. They were intentional about meeting with executive teams. They were intentional about engaging. Uh, they looked at accountability. They upped their game with technology and processes. Um, they just had to do it fast, right? And so right. I really feel like there's um, – I know we're, you know it's been a horrible – horrible tragedy in a lot of ways, I try to put the lens on of, okay, what are we going to learn from this and what's positive? And I really feel like there's a lot of things that are positive that are going to come out of this. And a lot of the leaders that I work with are saying there are things that we implemented to get through this time that we're going to keep with. 
you know, we're not going to change. We're going to keep engaging at these letter levels. Um, they, you know, I, I know there's Zoom fatigue. We have a whole uh, language now for Zoom, but, um, you know, I think they're trying to reinvent um, why they meet, how they meet, and then being very focused on what their strategy is and communicating. Communication just increased across the board, I think. Right. And certainly the intensity of what we've been doing, we won't be able to keep up long term. But there are certainly lessons on how we've been meeting and what we've been doing and or at least just how to respond to a crisis. But I have yeah. actually really been enjoying the feedback that I've been hearing that there has been more meetings, more communication inside of teams, and they're seeing more productivity and higher outputs and a little bit less um, you know, sort of out farther in the organizations, so sort of like people banded together in the smaller groups to get more things done, to communicate more effectively. And, you know, if you need your organizations to communicate beyond that at a higher level, that's easy to me. That's an easier fix than it is to try to get your people communicating and being effective with each other, the people who they work with the most on a day to day basis. And I, I don't yeah. know if you've seen sort of that intensity change you know, for teams or if you're seeing an improvement in uh, maybe it's the, the people that at work, if you were in a traditional office, right, who could you throw a, a paper airplane and you might hit them in the head, right? Who's sitting that close to you? Um, yeah. That, you know, I'm seeing that those people are actually talking where they weren't, they were sort of taking it for granted. I don't know if you've seen a change there. Yeah, I, I have. They're more intentional about that. It, the other thing that's interesting is, it's so, I don't know how many times you've heard this, but, you know, executives will have one-on-ones, and those are routinely just canceled, like not seen as important. They're in the day-to-day. they got to push meetings off. They push those internal meetings off. But what's happened is because people are working remotely, they're virtual, they feel it's important to connect. Well, they weren't really connecting even when they office down the hall because they were in a, separate meetings, and, you know, they weren't connecting the way they connected in those one-on-ones. And so I'm definitely seeing the communication, you know, increase. And then a lot of them say, I don't know why we didn't do this before. <laughs> and you're like, yeah, we don't know either. Because, you know, in building better cultures and team and engagement, it's about those fundamental building blocks. And so I think people went back to some fundamentals and, um, that I've, I think that a lot of those things are going to stick and stay. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've been uh, really talking to leaders about stopping having one-on-one meetings, especially when remote. I mean, for us, we found that that was a thing that, to your point, uh, we, they tend to get canceled. They're not high priority. Uh, there may be one-on-ones where we need to work with someone, there may be something going on. I mean, I I certainly recognize we can't get rid of them all. But for me, standing one-on-ones are a complete waste of time. And instead, if we want to talk to a group of people, if we we have three or four people who we need to coach or inspire or to help, we got to get all three or four of them on the phone at the same time. First of all, you're less likely to cancel that meeting. Second, you're going to come far more intentional with what you want to teach them and tell them. And then as a leader, you're going to be much more effective because you could spend 30 minutes or 15 minutes or an hour, whatever, with four people instead of that same amount of time, four different times during the week or during the month. And so I, I don't know if you have any, if you agree with that sentiment or if maybe you, you disagree with that, but that's really what I've been uh, trying to get leaders to think about doing lately. 
Yeah, I we call those alignment meetings when you kind of bring in more than one person and it's about everybody communicating, you know, hearing the same thing, but it's alignment and if a decision's made, how did it impact the other areas? So I, I do think that you really need to look at meeting cadence because I think there is a place for one-on-ones, um, not necessarily me just checking in with somebody to see how they're doing, but, um, you know, there could be decisions that are made that are, or, or somebody needs your attention and time on something, you know, for whatever. So I think there's a place for the one-on-one. Uh, I do think what happens, um, you know, organizations are built off a hierarchy model, and um, I know we have progressive ones now, but, you know, that word was first cited, I think it was like in the 1880s. And it references um, to the three orders of three angels, like in the fifth and sixth centuries. And then that model was adopted by the military, which then was had been adopted by organizations when they first started. So we keep, we have these hierarchies and I think we do things because they've always been done that way. And we never, really challenge our self to say what works for us in this company at this time uh, with the people I have. And so your point is you need to really look at what is working now for you. Um, you know, I think what I was hearing from people during this time, there was a benefit in the one-on-ones because everybody had their own personal experience and fears and issues and having that space to be able to communicate that worked really well. You know, as they move through and they build better teams, you know, maybe those, a lot of those die down. So it depends. I really think it depends on the company and uh, the people you have and, and what you're looking to do. So we have, we as my organization, we do not have one-on-one. We have what we call alignment meetings. Um, so we, really have people that are, um, it kind of helps us keep silos, you know, from creating. And we really talk about, here's what we're trying to accomplish. And here are our results. Where are we? And all, I mean, priorities are being changed all the time because of opportunities, workload, you know, whatever comes across. And those seem to be the most beneficial for my organization. Right, right. Absolutely. So, you know, beyond the, the work that you're doing there, maybe uh, what are you seeing executives sort of struggling with right now? I mean, we talked about some of the things they're doing well and some of the things that we're seeing a shift in, but are there still areas where you're kind of targeting and, and asking people to really think about, you know, getting better at or learning new things or new skills uh, because they maybe are really struggling right now? Um. You know, I think it's lonely at the top. What I do in my groups, is, I'm always checking in with them because when you're the leader, you're the one checking in on, on priorities, people, processes, and you really don't have kind of that accountability for yourself. And so I think, you know, really the well-being of, of yourself. I think uh, when I ask people, you know, how this is going, I can get a dissertation. If I ask them how their family is, I get a small nugget, and then I go, hey, what are you doing personally for balance? It's like crickets, right? You know, nothing. <laughs> I'm not doing anything. So I think there's a whole well-being part of that. And then, you know, the road to success is usually through a swamp. And I think right now, um, you know, we've had a lot of extra things added to our swamp. And so really the struggle is around 
what's working now. And that's, I think, where people are struggling is to figure out what's working now, what can I count on, how do I plan? You know, how do I even plan for, you know, the end of the year, much less one to three years? Right, right. And that can be hard to do, for sure, for sure. Yeah. Well, you know, beyond the the leadership things that you're doing, I guess we kind of pivot here a little bit and talk about, you know, what you're providing and what NextGen is doing, uh, you know, inside the workforce and how is that playing out? You know, I I talk a lot about next the next generation workforce, and it's it's not as much about a generation anymore as it is a mindset. So, you know, our organizations really see the networked economy. So we have, you know, something like 35 billion Internet of Thing devices that are installed worldwide. So with that hyper connectivity, there'll be 80 trillion dollars in commerce. And so if you think that, that businesses are having to sell and deliver to customers in a, in a networked economy, but you don't feel like the way we hire, engage, retain, or people is going to change. Like you, you're really missing, I think you're missing key, key pieces. And so I think there has to be a digital competence. And so that next gen workforce could be reskilling because the people that are in the C-suite most likely were trained in a completely different era for marketing, finance, and it's just a whole new game. And so you really have to be able to spot trends. So I talk a lot about a conveyor belt of trends and how to have vision and how to know the humology, what, how much human and how much technology you apply across your organization that works for your personas, your customer base. So I, I see culture, every, you know, everything has just changed. Um, I, I really think that the digital transformation of culture is going to be really interesting because I don't think it's going to live in an HR office down the hall. I really believe that talent management, um, which this is your world, you know, talent management and culture is all going to be embedded throughout the organization. And leaders are going to have to have some knowledge of, of that, you know, really to be able to, to compete. You're, you're just going to have to have a pulse on, on technology, how it impacts. I coach a lot of people that, you know, are, are the best at what they do and have gotten to the top, and they, they just don't want to learn. They don't want to learn the, the new skills. They, don't, they really don't want to have to reinvent those pieces for them. And the hierarchy of an organization is one of them. So I, I, there's, there, there's a lot, and we could probably talk all day on really engagement and how those lines are going to be blurred, and um, you're really going to have to be able to have a large digital toolbox of application or AIs to really perform you know, within organizations to really win in the marketplace. Yeah, yeah. And I'm certainly noticing that you know, this this happened for us and other leaders that I've talked to, it happened for them, which was something happened pretty catastrophic, pretty big in their business. Um, you know, for some people, it was 9-11. For some people, it was the big recession in 2009. For others, now it's COVID. Um, and there will always be something large and disruptive showing up at our doorsteps uh, it was for as long as we're in business or for as long as we're alive. And it's often, 
I, I've noticed with the best leaders out there, they take it as an opportunity to really bring in change, to really, you know, say, okay, well, we clearly can't keep doing business the way we were, right? It's, it's easy for everyone just to kind of keep going if there's nothing, no real reason to change. But when something big happens, it's really that moment to say, well, let's make a change. And if, if we focus on culture for a minute, since it's a place where you and I kind of both have a lot of energy and excitement around, if somebody was going to start building a new culture, if they were going to, you know, reinvent what they're doing at their work, uh, or at their company, if it's virtually, you know, and they really want to build a healthy culture that can last for the next 10 years or, or until the next big thing before they have to pivot again. What, what, what are those things they should be thinking about uh, to have a healthy culture? Well, I think transparency is key. Um, I think having a social mission is another element that, um, you know, is really a lot of generations are, are really, you know, asking for that that's, or they're going to go someplace that has a social mission to what they do. But, it, you know, I think you have to focus, like flatten your organization. And it's not about the reporting structure. It's about your client being the center of what you do and how does everybody play a part in that because every, what everybody does around that chart is really impactful for delivering your service, making the customer happy, which is what keeps everybody having a job is the paying clients. And then engaging is really try to think of how do you engage people. So I, you know, I, if, if I think about how I'm going to engage my kids, let's say I'm buying a car, if I go pick the car out, do the deal, and then say, hey, here's your car, go drive it, I haven't engaged them in anything. They're just driving the car. <laughs> you know, they don't have, they're not bought into that. And, and the engagement process would be involve them in why are we buying a car, <laughs> uh, what's important in making that decision. Maybe they even have some skin in the game where they help pay for the car because then their pride level and engagement is completely different in that process. And so... I know that's a very simplistic example, but I feel like culture is a lot like that. If you really want them to care about your company and engage at a high level, then those are the things that you have to do. You have to stop. How, why are we making this decision? How do we make, you know, how are we processing this? And, and listen and get that involvement. And then people act like an owner. You know, they act like they have skin in the game. Um, we do ownership in our company, you know, where we give ownership to people um, to get them invested. They think about things you would never think about. So, I, you know, culture is not as much about do we have pool tables and, you know, margarita machines on Friday and everything is great. It's really about, are people engaged and how do we get things done that create that family? And then, you know, it's like your book, the power of company culture, you know, there is a power when people are bought in and drinking the Kool-Aid, there's just a power in that. So, I mean, those are some simplistic things um, to really do, but you have to listen. You have to ask, you have to have a pulse on how, how things are impacting people within your organization. Um, sure. How are you collaborating in the meetings? And so you're not just putting in a structure that doesn't necessarily speak to what is important today. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
I think so many leaders uh, really value get a lot of value out of knowing what other leaders are reading, and I'm wondering if there's a book that you're reading right now you might share with us. Okay, I feel like it's a trick question, Chris. Of course, I've read The Power of Company Culture by Chris Dyer, <laughs> so that's got to be one of the books. <laughs> um, I, you know, I'm reading, I read a lot of things probably as you do. There is a book called AI Superpowers, because um, I'm really trying to understand yeah. a lot of just AI and how that's going to impact culture and leadership. Uh, there's a book called Humanity Works by Alexandra Levitt, which is really about um, where um, merging technologies and people for the workforce of the future, where that's going to happen. Um, there's a book on grit, which I love, which is about the power of passion and perseverance. Um, so that, I mean, those are a few right now that are at the top of my, at the top of my stack. Yeah, and Grit's a great book. In fact, I'm doing a webinar on it tomorrow. That's kind of crazy that that came up. And read AI Superpowers last year, and that was a really, really good book and amazing how different things are between how America is is really going after AI and how China is going after AI and and other parts of the world. So it's certainly a a fascinating book and a good. It's not a. It's not it too. If you're not a technical person, I think it's still a great book that you can you can enjoy and understand without having to understand how AI maybe even works at a, at a code level. So, uh, well, yeah. uh, the most important question, Annette, is how can people get a hold of you? How can they find you if they're interested in learning more about you or working with you? Okay. Um, on LinkedIn, I'm Annette WK. So that's A-N-N-E-T-T-E-W-K. Um, Annette at FPOV.com, which is futurepointofview.com. Or on Instagram, they can go to Leader Spotlight, which is where um, we spotlight leaders, and that's also the podcast too. So, and they can find me wherever they listen to podcasts as well for Leader Spotlight. Well, fantastic, Annette. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today and being our guest. Hopefully, uh, everyone enjoyed your insights as much as I did, and that we can have you come back at some point and give us an update on everything you're doing. I would love that. It was great to connect again. Great, thanks, Annette. All right, everyone, we're gonna take a quick commercial break, and we'll come right back with our second guest, returning to the show, Rick Franzi. a newspaper and discovering that the news you're reading is six months old there isn't much that stays the same for six months and the same thing goes for background checks in a time when so much outdated information is being passed around it's good to know that people g2 offers something different at people g2 we provide today's intelligence not yesterday's news Our value-added approach offers you a fully FCRA-compliant solution that includes up-to-the-minute information. By combining industry-leading technology with old-school human investigation, People G2 is able to give you information that is accurate right now, delivered quickly through our online system, or integrated with your HR system. So ask yourself, are you comfortable working with old news, or are you ready for a different kind of background check company? Visit PeopleG2.com or call 800-630-2880. That's 800-630-2880 or PeopleG2.com. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. In case you missed my first guest, uh, Annette White-Kowalski, you can hear her interview along with this one when we turn it into a podcast and throw it up onto iTunes and iHeartRadio and Stitcher and everywhere you find your podcasts. Uh, but make sure you check it out. Don't forget, we're also live tweeting as we go along during the show. So if you want to be engaged with the guests, if you want to ask questions, if you want to give us your opinion, uh, that's where you do it. It's on Twitter. So follow at PeopleG2. Look at that hashtag Talent Talk. 
Also, don't forget, you can subscribe. You can go to talenttalkradio.com. That's a great place to subscribe and make sure you get alerted anytime there's a new episode. But let's go ahead and bring in my friend uh, back to the show, Rick Franzi. Welcome. Hello, Chris. How are you? How are you today? Doing well. I'm actually, if uh, truth be told, I had to go to a friend's house uh, and come in with my mask and sneak into a side room to do the show today because I have construction going on at my house and not so many easy places these days to go and find a quiet place to go where where you're welcome. So uh, COVID continues to challenge. How about you? Well, you know, it's been five months, right, since we've had in California the work from home. I've always been set up to work from a home office, so for me it's not been difficult. I have a room in my house that I've converted into my office. It's the global headquarters for my business anyway, so being here is nothing difficult, but not being out in visiting with face-to-face clients and candidates and prospects, it's taken an adjustment. And so that part of it has been definitely different. But running the business yeah. from the home office is kind of how I set it up to do it 12 years ago anyway. Well, I would say the most of the time when you and I see each other, it's in the halls of you know, the center club or somewhere at a conference or something. So, you know, being right. out and interacting with people and having that kind of an experience, I think we got uh, something we did a lot of and maybe even took for granted. So maybe you could kind of tell everyone a little bit about what you do, uh, about yourself, what's important for us to know for our conversation today. Well, I've been doing what I'm doing now for the past 12 years. And what is that? I'm an executive coach to business owners in Southern California. I'm a business partner for Orange County with an international organization by the name of Renaissance Executive Forums. And Renaissance has 2,000 CEOs, business owners across the globe who attend monthly peer group meetings, mastermind groups, and I lead those here in Southern California. And um, it's been great. I've written a couple books. You know, I spent 20 years in the corporate world, and in my late 40s, I saw how the corporate world treated people in their 50s and 60s, and I thought, you know, I think it's time for me to scratch that entrepreneurial itch I've always had and start my own business, and this is the chapter of my life that I'm in. Like I said, I've been doing it for 12 years. And certainly I know locally I will be having a conversation with someone, and they'll say, you know, I know this guy. He might be really good for us to talk to, and then out comes your name. So I know you've done a great job of really helping the the business community here locally. Uh, you know, and as, as COVID-19 ha- has been, you know, hitting us, I'm wondering how have you guys, uh, you know, pivoted? Is it, you know, more online? Are you doing uh, sort of expanding into uh, other markets? What does that look like for you and, and, and the business that you're used to running? Right. So the, I have um, about 50 members in my community, uh, six peer groups. One has always been virtual. It's for solopreneurs, and that one has always been a virtual meeting. But the other five were historically in-room meetings at the Center Club. And after March, actually, we had our last meeting in March on the Friday before the stay-at-home order kicked in the next week. So we went to a virtual format for our members, and um, that's worked well. Although a couple of the groups, I'm starting to bring them back in a limited way with kind of what I call a blended meeting for those members who are comfortable being in a socially distant room. I'm doing that, and the other members who aren't ready yet to re-engage in that way are uh, participating uh, via Zoom. And so, you know, 
it's not been all bad using Zoom. I think many business leaders have found some real efficiencies in being able to do meetings via Zoom versus in person. And I know a lot of the consultants that I work with are finding themselves much more productive being able to do a lot of their engagements Zoom by Zoom versus, or online, you know, Zoom, WebEx, whatever they choose to use, uh, versus having to maybe commute to and from clients' locations, et cetera. Yeah, and I would say uh, for my business on the consultant side, I've never been busier. Uh, people have suddenly, you know, during a crisis, decided, well, maybe I really do need to work on my culture, or maybe I really do need help with my remote team or my leaders. Uh, how has it been for you? Have you seen that, you know, leaders are taking this time to, to to double down and work on their business, or is it just, you know, try to survive still? Well, it's an interesting uh, world. I think you make a mistake if you assume all businesses are suffering based on COVID-19. I think it's safe to assume that all businesses have right. been impacted by COVID-19. Both essential and non-essential have been impacted, but not all negatively, and not all businesses are seeing their revenue and their profits down. And I think that's important for people to remember there there is a, a thriving set of businesses that are out there. I mean, the biggest impact i found it's how my clients are dealing with their employees, you know, how they're dealing with their health concerns, their physical concerns, and frankly, uh, some aspect of their mental, medical, um, excuse me, mental concerns as well. You know, you talked about people wanting your advice on culture. I, I think keeping a strong culture for the non-essential businesses has been very challenging because their employees are working from home. And when this started, I think many people thought this was a sprint. You know, we're going to be, lockdown for a definite period of time. It's probably a couple months, and then we're going to kind of come back out of this. And so the, the it's sort of like the emergency was there and people rallied. But now what I'm seeing in my groups, Chris, is that now that this is becoming the new reality, and it may be this way for a period of time for a variety of reasons, the members are much more thinking about how do I keep the engagement that I actually had more of when we first went remote uh, in place now that we're going to be remote for a longer period of time. You know, I, I've noticed that if people tried to shift at, but didn't change, so like your, to your point that they were just going to be a temporary thing, just a sprint, and they're really needing to change how they operate if they want to keep that engagement up because working from home, working remotely, in my opinion, is better But for most businesses, but it, it's different. It's fundamentally different, and you have to treat it differently and act differently. Um, but you bring up an excellent point because there are so many businesses that are overwhelmed with being busy right now. They have pivoted their businesses. Uh, everyone who's a contractor is out of their minds busy because everyone who's staying home is going, well, I'm tired of looking at this kitchen. I guess we should finally update it. <laughs> and everyone I'm talking to, that, that those types of businesses are just booming. So, yeah, we have to think about the economy, I guess, in maybe pockets or in, in Venn diagrams or something, there's some overlap there, right? There's some businesses struggling, some that are waiting for this to be over, and others that are thriving and, and, and absolutely taking off. So uh, that, I guess, that leaves uh, someone like yourself who's there to help and advise people uh, in, in different types of scenarios. Uh, are you seeing other unintended consequences during this, you know, pandemic, other surprises or things that, you know, kind of based on your own research that maybe you hadn't expected? Well, you know, my third book, Killing Cats Leads to Rats, 
gets its title from the pandemic that hit Europe in the 1300s. So um, in researching and preparing for that book, I and studying unintended consequences of business decisions. Uh, to be frank, on one hand, the fact that we're in the throes of a global pandemic is not surprising to me because we're such an interconnected world now where people can freely, historically, before COVID, freely move from one continent to another and almost what is a blink of the eye. And so disease like this could be transmitted just as efficiently and as effectively. And, you know, I think the risk of a global pandemic was something that people thought about but never really seriously planned for. Um, Coincidentally, in March, as a part of our education for our members, I had an expert from Orange County come in and talk about disaster preparedness. And her work historically has been to help companies prepare for emergencies, fires, floods, unfortunately active shooter, and then the very rare instance, um, an earthquake and how that might damage and disadvantage your business. So we had this mentality in my community in March about preparing for the unexpected. But literally, you know, the last meeting was Friday. That next Monday, we started our shelter in place, stay at home, call it what you will. And so the mindset of the CEOs in our community was sort of vibrating towards emergency preparedness. But um, this challenge of a global pandemic is something that is truly unprecedented. And, you know, I've been in business for a number of years, and I thought I had seen most all of everything, recognizing that this is both an economic and a health issue is very different than, let's say, the Great Recession, which was a financial issue and an economic issue. And so that's new. But the idea that something like this could happen as an unintended consequence of now being a globally interconnected company, country, world with a heavy reliance on, you know, different geographies doesn't surprise me and didn't surprise me at all. You know, and it feels like with a lot of those other issues that we had, it was a single moment or a small bit of time we hit, you know, the ground, and then it was a slow march back uphill. And I think that's, for me, is what's felt very different about this pandemic, is that we still don't really know if we've hit the ground. We don't really know if we've hit rock bottom. We still don't know, you know, exactly where we're at, and are we are we climbing back up yet or not? Or, or are we just changing directions now and going in, you know, we were going north, and now we're going to go east. I, you know what I mean? We just seems like we haven't quite figured that out and maybe in 20 years it won't feel that way but right now it feels very different in that those terms um you know there certainly are a lot of opportunities i'm sorry go ahead rick i was just gonna say to build on your your point you're absolutely right the the hardest thing for the members of my community and entrepreneurs and business leaders is uncertainty you know you can take bad news and then you figure out how to deal with it um it's the uncertainty of what we're dealing with that i think from I'm hearing from my community, my members, the business leaders in, in the Renaissance Executive Forums community. It's just to your very point, what's this fall going to be like? What's even September going to be like? And um, how do we plan for that much variation in what could be the new reality in October, November, December, uh, let alone let's talk about 2021. Let's just try to figure out what we have left in this year and what the reality of the world might be like throughout the rest of this year. Yeah, yeah, certainly long-term planning. What's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it feels a little bit different than it used to. So, 
But, uh, you know, as we mentioned, a lot of other organizations are growing. There have been people who are cha making changes to their business and, and thriving. Are you seeing other opportunities within this challenge that we're, you know, right now? Yeah, you know, the, for me personally in my business as well as the members of the community, there's opportunities to save money by rethinking different things. One of them, and I think this is going to be a longer-term reality in the business world, especially in high in densely populated, high-cost markets like Orange County and Southern California, but it's true in New York and Chicago and San Francisco and, you know, name the major metropolitan areas, the top 25 markets in the United States, and that's the one of office leasing and how much office space do I really require to do my business. And I think that fundamentally, at least in the thinking that is today among the people that I'm working with, they're really looking at that as an opportunity to right-size their physical footprint. One of my members was just about to sign a lease in April for a new, bigger office. In March, right, halfway through March, he, was, he had to have all of his people work from home because they were deemed non-essential. He chose not to sign that new lease, and now the conversations we've been having with him and he's thinking about is, do I need any office space, not just less office space, but is this remote model a long-term viable solution for me? And maybe I can just use some colo offices for meetings and things when I really need it. So I think yeah. that's a, an opportunity that will roll out over time because most companies have a lease with a term on it and they can't make their decisions today because they're bound by that agreement. But over time, I think we might see a significantly different structured around companies and how they view their physical office space. Another area that I have seen significant opportunity within businesses to save money is in reduced travel and leveraging technology. One of my clients has historically put their salespeople on the plane. They deal with E-suite executives on the financial side of major corporations, and they believed you needed to be there in person to uh, show respect and also to build the relationship. And what they have found during this time is that many of the hard-to-reach CFOs of larger companies, corporations, are actually more accessible to them now because they, too, many times are working remotely, and they're able to reach them in a way that they couldn't have reached them when the gatekeepers were there and the office was structured, et cetera. And so they're thinking, how do we use technology to really attack what has historically been a major cost item for them, which is, you know, travel and entertainment. And, and then finally, to your point, I think across my community and with the business leaders I work with, they're seeing a productivity boost from a remote workforce even if they're an essential company, because even in the essential companies, many of them have structured some of the non-essential work to be done remotely, and they're finding that actually the employees can be trusted to work from home, and if anything, they're getting a greater output from many of the employees than they had previously, and so they're very enthusiastic about how might a remote workforce be a part of their long-term business model. And that has been the area that I have spent the most time consulting on recently because, as you know, my company is 100% remote. All of my organizations are. And we, you know, it's just something we believe in. And we have found, you know, my biggest problem is not will people work. It's that they're overworking, right? I have to make sure they're not overdoing it. I have to remind people to take vacations. I, 
have such flexibility to do the work when they want, when where they want, how they want, and at the same time can mix that with a work-life balance they could never otherwise get. They can go pick up their kids. They can go to a doctor's appointment. They can do these work when it's the right time for them and not feel pressure uh, that they have to stay until the boss leaves or that they have to be the first one in the office, all these sort of little things we forget about. And I think people have maybe realized now, but there's so many meetings that people didn't need to be in. There were so many interactions and wastes of time and just the stuff that just kind of goes away when you're remote. You get really good about being uh, intentional and effective about you know, connecting with people, but at the same time, you better get your work done very quickly when you're on with five people on the call, as opposed to, you know, wandering around the the cubicle farm for two hours talking to people to try to figure out what what you should do next. So, uh, I, I I'm a big advocate for it. I think it's here to stay. Your previous point about the real estate is a real potential threat, because uh, what will we do if people don't want that office space? Uh, and where, what will happen to that, and what effect does that have the, on the economy and the, you know, the communities at, at large for property tax and things like that? But I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see how that one turns out. Maybe in the next couple of years. But you you made a valid point, and one of the members of our community, like your firms, has been 100% uh, virtual for a decade plus. And one of the early conversations that we had when many of the members were delighted with how hard their employees were working was to spend time understanding how easy it is for at-home workers to burn out um, because they, there is no physical boundary between work and home, and they can, they can overdo it. And so one of our members took that guidance and actually reported the next month in the meeting that, they, that the leadership purposely had a time when they were all taking off from work, and so they sort of had a virtual happy hour early on a Friday afternoon, required all employees to be a part of that, and then closed technically closed business early on a Friday to reinforce the point that you know you can't be working as hard as you might be right now. We appreciate it, yeah. but from a long-term perspective, it's not good for our culture. Yeah, it's not good for our culture. It's not good for our people. Long-term burnout, I mean, there's all the soft things. Then you have some real compliance issues, right? Do people, if somebody goes and works 16 hours a day for an, a month and they're only <laughs> supposed to be working eight, uh, you have a problem. And that can go and file suit or file a complaint. And even though you didn't authorize, I mean, it opens up a can of worms as well. So you have to, again, that's always been our concern is we want people to work the right amount of hours, not too much, not too little. We want them to do what's right and then be able to be confident in their teams to pass off jobs, to ask for help when they need it to let us know when they're they feel like they've overdone it and that's just a culture thing and eventually they learn they can do that so hopefully organizations are are learning some of those lessons and reaching out to people if they need help uh, going further uh speaking of reaching out for help uh, how can people find out more about you how can they get more information about the work that you're doing and and uh you know from your roundtables to your consultancies your books what's the best way for them to find out more Thank you for that question. And the best way to start a conversation with me is on LinkedIn. I have an active presence on LinkedIn. I enjoy those conversations and building relationships through that platform. And all of my IP you know, is made available through various portals. But I think the easiest and best way to start a relationship is by reaching out for a connection on LinkedIn, mentioning that maybe they've heard us here on this conversation so that we can kind of continue this level of discussion if they're interested in that. But that's really my preferred 
starting point in relationships at this point, Chris. Well, that's great. And Rick, it's always a pleasure to have you on the show. And as, as, as I think I've done before, I did want to say again, thank you. When Rick had me on his show many years ago, that's what started this whole thing. That's what started me uh, deciding to have my own radio show. And he's been uh, a great support to the show and to me and has been on many times. And so I uh, just, again, want to say thank you, Rick, for your, your leadership there. And I hope that uh, you continue uh, you know, with what you're doing because we're all, we're all trying to keep up with you. I'm very proud of all the success you have with the tens of thousands of listeners and downloads that your show has garnered and the impact you're having, Chris. It's fantastic to see what you've been able to do with this platform and your books and consulting as well. So thank you for your time. I appreciate being on your program. This has been fun. Thanks, Rick. All right. Thanks, everyone. And hopefully something that we've talked about today helped you and improved you and your own career. Until then, uh, until next time, I should say, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio, brought to you by People G2.